Expand and impact. Internal transformation for external impact. Achieve your goals without sacrificing yourself. I'm Violetta Znarkowski, but you can call me Violet. Welcome back to the Expand and Impact podcast, a place where we discuss how you can create a successful life that is an authentic expression of you, and where we also explore the intersection between personal development and gender equity. I am so excited to invite you to listen along to today's conversation with Dr. Kimberly Rose Pendleton. Kim is an advocate for women's sexual healing, freedom, and empowerment. She is a writer, a speaker, a coach, and founder of the Intimacy Incubator, a flagship program for powerful women to get resources on uncovering their most intimate, successful, and sexy selves. From the outside looking in, some may think Kim and I are worlds apart. Other than both identifying as white women, Kim loves Coco Chanel and weekend trips to immerse herself in the glamours of Paris, and more often than not, you will find me camping somewhere deep in the wilderness or climbing and playing in the mountains. But the level of depth, connection, and wisdom in this episode is confirmation that there is room for all types of women in leadership and in the world. There is room for all forms of feminine expression, sexuality, sensuality, pleasure, and joy. And sometimes the very qualities that we think separate us from others are the very same qualities that if we are open, if we are curious, allow us to foster deeper connection, self-expression, and intimacy in our lives and our relationships. I had so much fun connecting with Kim in this way and diving deep into topics ranging from intimacy, pleasure, feminism, healing, purpose, and so much more. If you like what you hear in this episode, be sure to connect with both Dr. Kim and myself and let us know how this episode landed for you. We barely scratched the surface of what is possible for female pleasure and success with the time we had together. I just know that you're going to love this conversation as much as I did and leave wanting more. So let's dive in. What informs your identity? Yes, thank you so much. Uh, Such a great just centering question, you know, I feel like it's so easy for me, especially to just be like going through my day to day, like getting everything checked off a list and not actually coming back in to like, okay, what is true here? But I would say that when I really tune into like what informs my identity, and especially when I think about like showing up for the work that we do and like kind of why when there's so many other <laughs> so many other ways to live and so many other things to do but it's like I just feel that pull that I know probably so many heart-centered entrepreneurs feel too of like sharing what I've been through and sharing what I've learned and like trying to make the journey even just like a tiny bit easier for somebody else is like such a beautiful motivator for me. And it really does feel like I've let that really inform my identity of like a teacher, but not from that place of like, I have all the answers. 
you know, you should listen to me, but more like, let me just teach from whatever I've got. Like, I'm going to just like take the stories, take the mistakes, the like countless mistakes <laughs> and take the lessons and like, you know, like share it and share it and share it. And I think that, you know, there's an edge to that identity for me sometimes. Like I can, I can see the ways that like my ego can get in there. I want to be everyone's favorite teacher and I want to be the best and I don't want to be wrong or whatever. But I think when it's like really rooted and in a good kind of like healthy place, it's that identity of like, I want to share, I want to give, I want to like not let anything go to waste. If I've like experienced it, I'm going to kind of alchemize that into either a celebration or like a lesson that I could learn or share or save someone else some time. So I think that, um, yeah, that like identity feels really strong for better and for worse. Yeah. I really appreciate that answer because it's atypical, at least from my perspective. Mm. I think a lot of people when first um, like pondering this question and I'm guilty of this myself is like we automatically go to the labels and what I'm hearing mm-hmm. beneath, with your answer is that there is a part of you beneath the label that really wants to contribute and give and the label is like that teacher component but it goes deeper than that that like you aren't only that it's what you can share through that avenue or through that identity while allowing it to take the form that it may like as things change in life and that just really shows to me at least like the amount of work that you've done and that's one of the reasons Mm -hmm. why I was excited that you accepted the invitation to be on the show because for me you really show an embodiment of your leadership and Mm especially like I know very little about your story, but I know that you've come from an academic background. So very like rigid, very structured and have found your own pathway, which I think many entrepreneurs like um, in this space go through that journey to finding that, I guess, more um, resonant way of living. But what a shift in identity and all the work beneath it that like has led you to this place that when I listen to you, I feel that you are practicing what you preach and really applying the principles. And I still think that's so rare, you know, like there's so many experts out there, but when you listen, like you could hear, even in the tone of voice, you're like, I don't fully believe it. (laughs) Like you're saying it, I get it. But like, do you do that? I'm not sure. (laughs) I know just what you mean. Yeah. And I really take that as like the highest compliment. And I really, I so appreciate that reflection. And when I think about that for myself and even for my colleagues and friends, you know, I know that there can be that ping, especially if integrity is really, really important to us. It's like, the moment we fall or falter, it's like, oh no, you know, am I like not doing my work? Am I not practicing what I preach? And that happens to me so much with like my own kind of practice around like intimacy and showing up in relationships with like all these tools that I teach. And I have now come to believe that what it really is, is like an invitation for me to go deeper with it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is just the point where I <laughs> use my own tools, tools to, yeah. like, 
to the next level. Like, of course I'm not like done, but like, how do I show up in that moment rather than being like, oh, I better lie or I better like never let this happen again. It just, it does. It feels like that invitation to be like, okay, great. Like here I am to take my own medicine again. And if I've got the courage and the bandwidth, like probably sharing that with my audience is going to be even more impactful than if I was just like, and then I never made another mistake. Yeah. In my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I'm what? perfect now. <laughs> totally healed forever. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, great. Thanks so much. That's yeah. like totally unrelatable. <laughs> yeah. Unrelatable and also unrealistic. It's like, totally. there's this, there's like this expectation to like reach a certain end point. But there is no end point, like in any healing journey, in any recovery journey, in any educational journey, like when you are open, there is always more. And like, what a nice thought that it would be over. You know, it's like when you start to unpack these layers, yeah, you're like, I'm done. And then like a huge trigger comes out of the woodworks and you're like, I guess I'm not done. Back to the drawing board, back to the tools. (laughs) Back to module one. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, Would you be open to sharing more about that? You mentioned the intimacy work and the tools you use and maybe a little bit of like where you've come from, how you are today. And if it feels good, how that like has shifted your identity over the years. I know that's a loaded question and we can break it up as we go, but that's just kind of what's on my mind as we're talking hundred percent. No, it makes complete sense. I wish it were complicated and I could be like, tell me what you mean. But no, I completely hear that because there really are some concrete moments where I feel like my brain is like, uh oh, like shut it down. And really it's just that like invitation in. So one of the things that really comes to mind, especially because in my work uncover I am like really drawing on intimacy principles. It's not only about like sex and relationships, but that is a piece of it, but also like intimacy with ourselves and intimacy with our purpose and in our work and like intimacy as kind of like a way of showing up in the world, like being willing to get close, being willing Mm. to be vulnerable, basically like all of this scary stuff in my opinion scary Um, and that makes like life worth living yes yes exactly it's like scary and so worth it you know intimacy in our leadership and in love and I really felt like that process for me was born from a healing journey which I know you resonate with I know so many people listening probably do too but I saw how I was like okay, after having experienced my own trauma, after kind of deciding that like putting up all the walls will keep me safe, like going into academia, I didn't think was a trauma response at the time. But now looking back, I'm like, of course, you were just like, let me get all the way up in my head and like not be in my body at all. You know, intimacy really felt like almost like the antidote like let me come back and let me like tear down some of the walls I've put up to like protect my little heart here it was like okay can I come in and then you know if I have a moment where I'm like 
<laughs> fighting with my husband or something, I can do that with my brain where I'm like, oh shit, I shouldn't be the one teaching it to the sea. Like, what am I doing? But instead, it's like, if I can just have that reaction of like, okay, but what would, like, what would these tools practiced here look like? And then it can turn into actually such a beautiful experience where I'm like, oh yeah, well, what I actually believe about conflict is that it's just another invitation for more intimacy. Like, what is this person telling me they need? What am I reacting from? You know, Mm. like this is actually a chance for us to get closer if I let it be. And then it's so interesting how that lesson will play out with a client or like end up being relevant to a client and what they're going through in their marriage or like on a bigger picture, you know, be happening to my mentor or something like that, where I'm just like, oh, if I let it in, you know, the medicine is everywhere. If I'm like scared of it, I'll just shut down (laughs) and be like, I'll go work in the floor instead of coach on it. (laughs) I really love the way that you articulated that. Like if you're open to it, the medicine is everywhere. And yeah, I feel like we have a tendency. I mean, we do, right? It's like a universal like fact that we have a tendency to hide. We have a tendency to preserve ourselves. And when we can really take that bold and courageous step forward, even just a little bit, and like really hold that self-compassion that like it's okay to not be perfect in your work and still be really knowledgeable and have a lot to give and offer. Incredible things can happen. Yeah. But I do feel like we're missing some context here. Mm, yeah. Share more about your work and where you've come ah. from and what it is, you know, like how this even happened, like intimacy work. Yeah. I, I know about it, but the people listening... Right may not be able to fully grab the scope of what we're talking about just yet. I love that. Yeah. So it's so interesting now. It feels kind of like, of course I would have landed here, but like so many people's paths, you know, it didn't feel like that at the time. It felt kind of like jumbled and bumbling along, Mm -hmm. but my academic background, like you had referenced is that I have a PhD in women's studies and a master's in like religion and gender studies, basically like kind of looking at these questions around women's empowerment, but from this very head based, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like almost, almost like kind of sterile way. But I, you know, I was really interested. I thought I would be a professor. That was my plan. Um, And I am still occasionally an adjunct but it's like majorly on the side because what came through, especially toward the end of getting my PhD was this business uncover, um, which is now my full-time job, but it began as just these little workshops. I was part of an art studio collective in DC and I would have little vision board workshops and little like find your purpose, like conversations and I always just thought it was like a side hustle for fun, like something to kind of temper all the like time in the library. Like I was like, then I come over here and I have these fun conversations. And I remember the moment where I was like, what if 
they could be combined. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't really know that there was this whole industry like available, but I think I knew enough like for little breadcrumbs to be there where it was like, wait, you know, the conversations that I'm having with my students about empowerment and what it means and what it could look like are actually not that different from the conversations that the women coming to my vision board workshops are having about their big dreams and what they want and who they really are. And it started to get so crystal clear that like that could combine. And then I feel actually really fortunate about the timing of this, but basically that was like right when the Me Too movement really Mm. like erupted. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like I have been studying sexual trauma, studying women's empowerment, looking at like how to hold space for women as we're having these conversations. It almost felt like, oh, I was called for like such a time as this, like right now, like, okay, Kim, like you're up. And I remember the first workshop I did that was specifically focused on me too. I didn't know how, but I realized after that, like, this is like, this is what I meant to do, I think. And I remember talking about it with Nick, who's my husband now, we were just dating at the time. And I was like, here's the thing, not a great business model because this was free. And we definitely drank all the wine that I was planning on <laughs> using for the workshops for the next like, two months. Like, how am I going to make this work? And it's so funny now because Uncover, I am so proud to share, is a seven-figure business. Congratulations. Like, okay, Thank you. Wow. I wish I could just like tell that girl, like, it's going to be okay. But, you know, I was just like, okay, like, we have work to do. Women want to know they're not alone. There is something nice about taking all of that kind of like academic knowledge and like distributing it to the masses. It felt a little like a sneaky, like Robin Hood thing to do. Mm. I'm like, okay, well, instead of, you know, going to undergraduate here at this expensive school, you can just like meet me for this workshop, either online or in person. And from there, it just, it really grew into online courses, private coaching, retreats, of course, because it's just like so nice to be in person. And over that was five years ago. And over those five years, I feel like I really found a stride where it's like, actually, people want that mix, like some of the academic stuff, some of that experiential stuff. And really just we're all asking those same questions about like, how do we reclaim our own, our own bodies, our own pleasure, our own healing, but also like connect, heal sisterhood wounds, you know, like connect across time and space and like have amazing relationships and amazing lives. Yeah. Wow. There's like so many like little trailheads in what you just said. Now I'm just, yeah. I'm like, where do I go? There's, I have so many like follow-up like, questions. Which yeah. Which way? Yeah. And I trust that yeah. I'll circle back to where it needs to, totally. like as totally. we go. Um, but one thing that you just said that um, stood out to me, well, like 10 things stood out to me. And now I think I've lost my train of thought, but it actually like connected to one of the questions I have here somewhere um 
I'm going to ignore that one. I'm just going to go with it. I I can't even find it on my piece of paper. Um, You mentioned that you were a professor. So very much in like a, in like the system, you know, the academic system, which comes with all of the things, which I'd love for you to kind of elaborate more on um, maybe the things that impact our ability to be intimate in our lives with our work with ourselves, with our relationships, like coming from that kind of structure and heady place. But what I do want to acknowledge before you jump into that question is that what you did, that transition sounds really scary Mm. and really tough. And I want to acknowledge that and just, you know, like send love and applause Mm. your way for doing it because I've had my own journey, very different from yours, but you know, like before we started this conversation, I mentioned I left the country for a six month experience before I was supposed to move back and work in a sky rise in New York City. And it's been seven years since I've lived in my passport country. And part of that was a trauma response that I didn't learn until like three years ago when I was really diving deeper into different topics of personal development and healing, where I realized that Um, that impulse wasn't by accident and my resistance to coming back wasn't an accident and to have dedicated so much money and time into getting your PhD I imagine that it was a difficult decision to decide to walk away from it does that land for you in any way it really does. And it feels so good to receive that reflection. And there is like that past me, just like, I'm sure you feel so much tenderness for that past you who is just not sure yet how it's all going to work out. And is like, kind of just following that one right next step. And it's so you know, it's so beautiful to think about how well it does go, but she doesn't know that yet. You know, (laughs) in fact, there were so many times and I still have this come up actually, but it used to come up a lot more. There were so many times where I had a narrative that like, I had kind of failed from that path because I wasn't doing what I had planned on. I wasn't teaching, you know, at a small college, like American religious Mm -hmm. history, you know, some spot, which was like what I had really seen myself doing. And it's just so interesting how, you know, that work almost feels like it's never fully unraveled, at least not so far in me, because I can feel it come up still. And I have to be like, it's okay. We mm. chose this. We're, okay. <laughs> We're <laughs> safe. We're safe. It's, yeah. all, it's all working like, out. Okay. Like, it's be okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, the programming, and I know so many people have it in us so deeply from like society, maybe even our parents or just like what we expected from ourselves. And when things go differently as they tend to do, it can take so much work around just like making that all okay. Yeah, so much. And so much like leaning into that and really asking those deeper questions. Like if I feel pulled if I'm feeling pulled in this direction, am I able to acknowledge that it's not by accident? 
And like, and what does it mean about me if I step away from all of these expectations and this path and trajectory that I thought I intentionally set myself on, right? Because it always starts of, it starts as like yes. a conscious decision to yes. us. It's like, of course, I want to be a professor. Of right. course, I want to do this. Of course, of course yeah. I'm going to go back. And then something starts to feel a little off internally. And um, before we kind of transitioned here, like in your original response, you mentioned that you started to notice like these signs and start to question, like, what about if I could put like this, these conversations I'm having with women on the side and the profession I've dedicated myself to, how about if I combine them? And I'm wondering if you noticed like physical signs from your body that were nudging you in that direction. I love that invitation. So to get even more intimate with the intimacy coach here. Um, One season that really, really comes to mind as you ask that has a lot to do with ending up here teaching inside of Uncover because when I was just beginning the PhD program, I also got married for the first time and my body was a full no to that mm. marriage, but I had no idea. I like didn't know I was part of a very conservative church. I followed all the rules. I was like the good girl, you know, I'm sure like many of you can relate and my body completely shut down. And I had a ton of like really mysterious pelvic pain and like pain all over And when I got divorced, uh, it like immediately cleared up and it was like after test, after test. And they were like, we can't find anything wrong with you. It was like looking back feels so clear that I was like getting all of these signals and these signs, but I didn't, I didn't even begin to know how to listen to that. And I was in this academic world where like, listening to your body like no 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 like we're up here we're in doesn't like land yeah it doesn't exist yeah. <laughs> and so it's so funny but like even some of the most simple tools which now are such a part of my daily life I forget but being like pleasure you know like what feels good what smells good like what and bring your senses in like how is your body feeling deep breathing like all these things that are pretty basic for me now and probably so basic for like everybody listening they were a revelation after revelation in <laughs> this season yeah. of my life my early 20s where I was like oh my God, it turns out that maybe my body has had wisdom this whole time. And I do feel like the more I kind of listened to that and learned to really trust that wisdom, the more I was able and attuned to be like, oh, I'm supposed to do something else here. Or like, oh, this feels right. And this feels wrong. But I think like a decade prior, I would have probably ignored all of that. And I would just be teaching somewhere, not just, but for me, like not aligned, I would be teaching somewhere kind of ignoring in a way my calling, or at least this version of expressing it because for so long, I like didn't know that my body had all of this kind of data to share. Yeah. And I'd say the majority 
still don't have that connection. And like you said, it's like, there's these simple tools that seem basic and those right. are, and like when it seems too simple, that's when we dismiss it. That's when we're like, yes. oh, well, I don't need to invest totally. the time and actually do it when actually it's like, yes, it's simple right. for a reason and it's profound. Yes. <laughs> it's like, and yes. you can use it yes. because it's simple wherever you go. And it doesn't, some uh -huh. of them don't even cost money. You just need to apply it. And that's yeah. um, the true testament of the work is like the embodiment, the application of even the simple tools and like not dismissing you know, like even what you're describing to me sounds like nervous system regulation and emotional regulation, right. which is a huge part. Like when you can center yourself, that wisdom yeah. of the body starts to come through and it becomes much clearer what is yeah. like a manifestation of your cognitive brain and your thinking and what is actually like that gentle nudge guiding you in the direction that's going to leave you feeling like you're living on purpose, leave you feeling fulfilled, mm -hmm. leave you with um, closely intimate bonds and relationships that allow you to show up in your work and life in a completely different way that you right. wouldn't be able to just if you focused on like the cognitive decisions from your brain. It's so true. It's really, it's so true. And, you know, I'll share that. Um, so in addition Please. to my academic training, I got really interested in like different types of trauma healing. And I did some Tantra training, which I like really had so much fun with, but some of my colleagues, you know, really got into the like long three hour, like pleasure ceremonies, like all this kind of like complicated stuff. And I love learning all kinds of practices, but it really is these simple things like a five second breathing. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's actually like what's changed my life. And so even when, you know, people don't necessarily have time for like a whole day dedicated to like embodiment practices, there is still so much that we can uncover and so much that we can find out and listen to, even just from like tuning into the present moment, like you said, for free for five minutes, it's like, there can still be so much profound wisdom there. Yeah. And how would you, like, are you able to put into words, I guess, like the contrast of those two experiences? Mm -hmm. Like, how does it feel to be living from, I guess, like choices mm -hmm. in your mind? And how does it feel to be guided by intimacy and your body? I love that question. One of the things that I remember feeling before, like in that more mind directed space was like a precariousness that I think comes from deep down worrying that like black and white thinking is really the only option. Like, I don't know that I would have said that, but underneath it, I really did worry. There's like a right way to be doing things a right way to be a right way to be a student and a person and a woman and a wife and like all of these kind of identities and there's a wrong way. And I think I like really lived in constant terror that I was accidentally doing it wrong. And it's funny because I do mm. feel like I have kind of manifested that my nightmare of like getting divorced. Cause at the time that was like 
the epitome for me of doing it wrong. Like I yeah, like, failed marriage, never, right? Totally, like that's what totally. they, someone would say. Yeah. Yes. Even <laughs> though it's not failed, here. but right. No, <laughs> yeah. but it's so true. No, absolutely. And that language is exactly how I thought about it at the time. And like the good girl does not <laughs> like leave her husband, you know, that's like rule number one. And so it's so interesting because I think now, you know, partly it is that things just feel more nuanced and more complicated and rich, but also there is a sense of like that inner resilience more around, like, it will be okay no matter what. Like there is no just like right over here, wrong over here. And like one thin line in between that, like, if you make the wrong move, like you're out you're out of here (laughs) yeah like oh my god like so intense it feels a little more now like it's like okay like we're just here to explore and I'm gonna like try this and see how that feels and try that and see how that feels and go here and I trust myself to figure it out no matter what like even if something does go wrong like, it's okay. Like I've got me. And I think that is the biggest difference that I can think of. Like, it doesn't feel as fragile anymore. Wow. I've got me. That is such a simple and powerful phrase where I think most people listening can relate to where it's almost like we're, we're told that self-trust is always there. Trust yourself, but we're not taught how to do that, how that looks like. And I've definitely had my own journey where I was like strong and independent. I trusted myself, quote unquote, until I came to like face resistance head on and realized that actually I don't trust myself and Mm -hmm. I'm acting more out of insecurity and fear than I am Mm -hmm. out of that self-trust and like listening to that guidance. And something that stands out to me with your share just now is that you're allowing yourself now like pre-intimacy work Kim and post-intimacy work Kim is allowing herself to not take life so seriously it's so true it's so true and you know it's funny first of all I love that you pulled that out like just so crystal clear because sometimes you know you think you're being so sneaky and other people are like, no, we can see exactly what you're saying. <laughs> but the truth is that that couldn't be said better, you know? And it's funny, a little ironic even because I can see the work I'm doing has never been more serious. You know, we're talking about mm. trauma. We're talking about showing up these hard conversations and da, 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 da. And yet it's like, life has never felt more playful. It's so beautiful that that came through and that you, you know, in your perceptiveness could feel it because it's like holding the sacred and the profound and the deep alongside, like this gets to be really joyful and really shot through with pleasure and really fun. feels kind of like that's the bridge that I want to be. And it also feels rebellious. Totally. Because it's totally rebellious. It's It's like, oh, I can have fun and not take myself so seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think like one of one of my like I was thinking about this the other day, like journaling. Um, 
I was like, losing my self-importance was like the biggest thing I could have done for my own growth and like just um, like expansion of my curiosity, (laughs) just like letting go of that self-importance and that life is so serious. And to be honest, like I'm still on this journey and I probably will be for the rest of my life kind of teetering between being serious and falling into that deep conditioning and like the influences that are around us telling us that there is a right and wrong and then coming back home to really trusting myself and where I'm at and guiding others to do the same. And I will be teetering back and forth, but it feels really rebellious to have fun and not earn it. It's like I could just oh like my God, totally. I could just enjoy myself like because yeah. I want to because yeah. I'm alive. Right. Even though my guess is that most of us, if we were talking to someone else, would be like, of course, you get to enjoy it. Go mm. have fun. And then like to ourselves, usually it's like, no, back to work. <laughs> back to work. Yeah. And that I'm yeah. so glad you brought that up because I've I've heard um you say a lot before, and I think it might be even like on your website or the name of one of your programs, pleasure is power. And this contrast that we're talking about, pleasure is power. How is it power? And how is it an act of rebellion really against the systemic forces that are keeping us in this, like what I'm hearing, like this good girl persona that really makes us feel like victimized and fearful of straying away into a path that actually feels good. Oh my gosh, such a good question. And yeah, you're absolutely right. That's the name of our free Facebook group. So it's I love kind it. of like your <laughs> way in, right? So it's good. Like, this is the first thing that so many people see of me. And it is like quite edgy, or at least it used to feel edgy for me to be like, I'm really claiming this. And I actually consider a few things to be relevant around talking about it. And one is that what I found in that more academic side, especially around conversations around trauma and healing, was that there was such a focus on like what we don't want and won't tolerate and shouldn't have happen. And obviously like I deeply value that. But I do remember thinking like, but what do we want? Like, Mm. where is the conversation about not just avoiding harm, but like experiencing pleasure? And like, what would happen if we were talking about that too? That it wasn't just, here's what we're trying to get rid of, but also like, here's what we want more of. And like, what if we taught girls in particular about pleasure instead of just like, here's how to avoid violence or here's how to recover from harm. So I started to think that like, oh, pleasure is a missing pathway here, like for empowerment itself. Like pleasure could be a way of claiming like, this is what feels good to me. This is what I want. I'm going to avoid these things that don't, but I'm not going to only think about that. And then on a kind of like <laughs> more radical rebellious level, I me. did really feel, <laughs> yeah, I get a buckle up everybody. I, I can <laughs> guess, so you can probably guess where I'm going, but coming from a church background, it felt especially like dangerous and fun to be like, okay, maybe everything I've been taught about pleasure, especially my pleasure as a woman 
is suspect because I do feel like a lot of the programming was like, if it feels good, it's probably a sin. (laughs) Like it's probably dangerous. It's probably like the devil. And there was something about thinking like, okay, well, who gets taught that? And in most of my experience, it was really exclusively women. It wasn't just like all pleasure across the board. And that may not be true for, for certain people listening. That was my kind of my experience with church. And so there was something about starting to be like, Hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Like, who is this? Who's telling me this? this (laughs) Yeah. Like, wait, where is this coming from? And this whole story about like Eve and the apple and like, I don't know, like, should we maybe be more suspicious? And it was so interesting to even connect those dots, which like, you know, this may or may not feel comfortable for people, but it's to me, it did feel kind of liberating to think like, wait, if I've grown up thinking that like my pleasure can't be trusted. And actually even beyond that, that like anything pleasurable is probably bad. No wonder I don't know how to listen to what my body wants. No wonder I don't know how to advocate for myself in a sexual relationship or like any relationship really discern any. And it was starting to feel like, Hey, wait a minute. Like this is setting us up for a society of like incredible damage. If like women in particular are being told, like, ignore what your body says, ignore what feels good. In fact, anything that feels good, lock that away. It's like, okay, this is actually completely the opposite of what I think is needed. And I started to really feel kind of spicy about it. Like pleasure is power. And like, not having it and not having access to that has actually kept us disempowered. And I started to really, you know, use that as my banner. Yeah. I I love everything you just said. And it's such important wisdom. And I'm really glad Mm. that the conversation is going in this direction. And Mm. one of the things that came to mind when you were speaking that I can't claim credit for this example. One of my mentors actually said it. And when she did, it just resonated deeply. It was like the easiest way to understand like how we are taught on a collective scale to not trust our bodies, even in our school system at a young age or in the home where she gave the example that when you're sitting in class and you raise your hand, you have to go to the bathroom and the teacher says, not now, or no, you don't. And then you start to second guess yourself, even like the function uh-huh. of your bladder. It's like, well, do uh-huh. I need to go to the bathroom? Am right. I going too often? Or the yeah. classic example of, you know, like finish your food. There's starving kids in Africa. Like how many times have right. we heard that? And then you oh, yeah. get disconnected from how yeah. full and nourished your body is actually feeling. And it's like right. these seemingly harmless Um, I guess, like interactions or phrases that we've like normalized, especially when you hear them so often when you're younger, they just become embedded in you and actually dictate how you feel about yourself and how deserving you feel of pleasure. And as you were saying, that word deservingness 
kind of like highlighted in my mind because I and I hear it all the time. It's like not only are women in particular, but um, women in particular, but everyone, I say, not everyone, a lot of people, <laughs> I'm not going to generalize here. There's like yeah. beneath everything, it's like, am I deserving of pleasure? And then how much yeah. is too much? It's right. like, so now I've allowed some pleasure in how much yeah. is too much? Like, am I allowed to just feel happy and like full all right. the time? Or like, you yeah. know, like, is it yeah. too much traveling, too much pleasure, too much sex or yeah. intimacy, whatever it is, or like, right. where is the pain? You know, it's like life can't feel this good because it yeah. might not last or it's not supposed to feel this good. Like there is supposed mm -hmm. to be a level of like struggle in order to feel alive which is such backwards thinking when you actually learn about trauma and your biology and mm. how, you know, like, I guess, think about the deeper topics, like how life would be different if we allowed more pleasure at the forefront of our conversations. Yes. I love that. And I think there is a fear. I know I've had it. I think a lot of my clients have had it, but it is lurking around like, but what if I open you know, the door to pleasure. And then I just like, never want to work again. And I leave, you know, all my responsibilities behind and just like, sleep with everyone in town or whatever. Like these fears <laughs> that like, get the scarlet like, letter <laughs> ticked totally, on you after totally. that. <laughs> like, it's just like, let this out. And what I find instead is that usually we do come to like that perfect set point in us of like, okay, if I have permission to eat all the chocolate, but I'm listening to my body, like, I don't actually want all of it, but I do want some. <laughs> and so like, I feel like what you keep coming back to, and I think this is so, so wise is like, learning to listen, like coming back into your body and your intuition and what you're craving, because there is a point at which, you know, it's going to be too much. Even if you're exhausted, like you can rest and rest and then you'll probably be ready to create again, you know, or like, even if we are starved for something, we'll like get to that point where if we're listening to ourselves, we can like really feel like, okay, that's, that's the right amount. And I, I do consider that to be some of the deepest work that we could do in coaching or in personal development is like learning to re-hear that voice again, because then once you have that, you know, you're set, you're set. <laughs> but yeah. so many of us have been trained to ignore it. I know I was that it's like, at first, it actually is kind of hard if somebody had been like, well, what do you want? Have been like, well, I don't know. How does anybody know? How could I possibly begin to answer that question? And now it feels like, oh yeah, like I've practiced with that muscle. Like I know how to tune in. Like what do I want? But it took me, you know, like a decade to yeah. get really different in the language of my own desires. Because after years and years of being told like ignore those, you learn to ignore those. Yeah. And I think many people will resonate with knowing what they don't want, but struggling to identify what they do want and yeah. being able to come to a place of that clarity and just start asking the question is so empowering yeah. because it really does connect you with your own truest desires, which are unique yeah. to you. And, yeah. you know, following them however you may 
will look different for everyone. But I'm wondering if you have any, I guess, like thoughts on um, making like your interests or your hobbies a career path, because I feel like that in itself can be, it can go either way, you know? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I do think it's one of those, I mean, we're going to be such a broken record by the end of this, but it's like, you have to listen to yourself because yeah, like you said, it's so different for everyone. And I can think of certain hobbies that really should never be my career, you know, like (laughs) this needs to stay in like that special place where like, it doesn't matter if you're really bad at it. I'm thinking of like pole dancing right now. (laughs) Like I don't know why. Any kind of dance, (laughs) any dancing. It's like, so do I want to be a stripper? (laughs) Right, right. It's It's like, like, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, is that where my hobbies are leading me to? I'm not going to make enough money doing that. Like you practice a lot more, but it's true, you know, and I can, I can name friends of mine in particular for whom, you know, they are so they're good enough at something that they could turn it into a business or a way that they've monetized, but it would take some of the joy out of it for them. And then I think about this work and the truth is it feels so good to get paid for work that I actually feel like I've been doing for free, like my whole life of like listening to people, helping them sort out their feelings, like making a plan, you know, most coaches and teachers online, I think probably share this experience that it's like, even before you knew you were a coach, you were coaching like your family and your friends. And so, you know, I know for me, that's actually been a really healing part of the process is like getting an exchange energetically back for doing this work that like society so often deems just like women's work oh you just care and you listen and you like give and then at the same time I can see how you know if my friend were selling the pottery that she's doing right now just for fun she might feel that pressure and it might not be kind of her catharsis anymore and so I would say like one of those, it's just like another one of those things where it's like being able to tune in and ask like, what do I really want? And then to connect with what the other thing we were saying earlier, like, and to trust myself that I'll change it if I need to, you know, both of those together that like listening in and that resilient self-trust of like, you know, if you feel the pull to try selling the pottery and then you don't like it, can you trust yourself that like, you'll change course and try something else. Did you have an experience where um, it was kind of like a tipping point for you where that voice inside was just getting so loud you couldn't ignore it anymore? Because you did mention like you've had physical symptoms, like your body was like physically rejecting your relationship. (laughs) And something you mentioned there was, um, oh, it slipped my mind right before you said trusting yourself to like make the pivot to change your mind, the changing your mind piece stood out to me. Like, did you have a tipping point where you just gave yourself permission to change your mind, which like sounds so simple and yet we're conditioned not to. And yet we're conditioned not to. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there was 
there was a tipping point where I had been working in my business, but also doing a bunch of other things, like so many people, you know, at the beginning. And I was doing social media for a bunch of online businesses and like friends of mine. And it, you know, was just kind of like, at that point, like those things felt like side jobs, but they were like bringing in more of the Mm. money. And I do remember having a tipping point where it was just like, I'm not supposed to be doing that for anybody else anymore. And I did have that self-trust of like, and if I need to, it's nice to know I can like go back to that or find others. Like, you know, it doesn't feel like that's closing a door forever if I'm wrong, but that feeling is pulling me to like go all in on my own thing and see what happens. Mm. Something I heard the other day that resonates with what you're sharing now is people uh, move towards this transformational work, either from a place of inspiration or a place of desperation. Ooh, that's so good. Right? I heard that. I was like, that is a brilliant yeah. sentence and I can't take credit oh, for it, but like so I instantly good. remembered it. And, yeah. um, and I'm assuming that you've had experiences with both. How does that look like in your life to move towards this work? Because it sounds like it was almost from a place of desperation, but you tell me, tell us. Yeah, you know, that's so beautiful and it connects so well with what I know is that kind of like final question of like, where do you feel the most like yourself and the most at home? And I just think like in the moments where I was moving from inspiration and the moments where I feel the most like me, it's actually like in community with other women. It would be like when I'm sitting in the circle, I'm listening to, you know, a sister share and like, we're being honest and I'm like really feeling that community And actually moving from desperation was sort of the opposite of that. It was feeling like I'm so alone. And so it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there are so many ways in which like tech and the modern way things are set up can make us feel a little isolated. But like overall, I feel like this work has really been like a community building experience for me and I even think about just the fact that like you and I are having this conversation from across the world like this is so amazing (laughs) and it's like oh like I feel the most at home in my life and in my work when I'm like really connecting to the magic of that that like we've each got our little candle and we're like finding each other in the dark it's so it's so nice. Were you always like that? Like, did you always have a predisposition or is this something that you developed over time, the deeper you dived into intimacy work within yourself? Mm-hmm. It definitely grew. My capacity to hold it grew because I think that before I would like long for a community, but then be like, but please don't look at me. Like, you know, like it didn't actually feel safe to be vulnerable um but I think the more I did you know that intimacy work for myself the more I was willing to be like I can sit 
with the discomfort of being seen right now, you know, and it like is so, it's so nice to feel that capacity stretch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it is, it is a capacity stretch, isn't it? I love the way you're saying it because it's not something that just happens. It's something that we actually need to learn to hold and almost to uh, and almost tolerate in a way. It's like when you're used yes. to discomfort, yes. you have to learn to tolerate connection. You have to learn to tolerate oh intimacy. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I'm wondering if like what when you started, because you have a PhD in women's studies, right? Yeah. What was your inspiration to go down that route? And was there like anything in particular? Yeah. Or like how did you? decide yeah. especially since you came from like a conservative um catholic <laughs> background it's a very unique yeah. path and it's a, it's very it's rebellious true. in the sense it's true i was already like dancing that yeah. <laughs> um but i did i had like a little window in because my focus was on how religious communities were responding to sex trafficking abroad and so there was this kind of way of talking about women's human rights that was like sanctioned kind of it was like okay we're like in this almost like missionary you know dynamic but how interesting like what's going on here so I ended up getting to do a lot of research on sexual trauma and like global communities and then also like ask my own questions about like, okay, like, how do we think about power? How do we think about connection? Like, how do we think about women and gender and all the, all of those things? So yeah, that's like, it's fun to dive into that and to see like the ways that even then I was like, okay, I have questions, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. what are we going to do about this? I am so sorry to say this. I think that my team may have like actually misunderstood a little bit, but they, we have a team meeting right now. And so, That's so I, okay. and I wonder if maybe I didn't block off quite enough time because I could just talk to you like all day. <laughs> That's absolutely okay. Um, completely understand. And thank you so much for the time you have given Gosh, me and our audience and you did, I think, answer mostly just our closing question, where and when yeah. do you feel most like yourself? If there's anything you want to add to that yeah. and then, yeah. Well, I mean, this is going to sound like I'm just saying it, but I'm really not like this conversation, things like this, like what we're doing and like you really do create like a really special space for guests to like really feel safe to share. And I just want to really reflect that back because it's oh, really special and unique. And I do think that like, I feel really like myself when we're like in this kind of conversation and in these spaces where it's just like, you know, I think a lot of people probably feel this way, but I just feel like small talk is I'm like allergic to it, but me like too. This stuff, <laughs> if you're like, okay, tell me your deepest dreams and your like biggest regrets in life. I'm like, Ooh, yes. Like yeah. I'm here for this. And so I just like really love that. And I loved 
getting to do this and would come back like a million times because it's clear we have like a million more things that we could talk about I think we should there's still so many questions yes. that I know I think right? are good, like so worth exploring yeah it's yeah. like we met like literally yeah. an hour ago and like I feel just so resonant and in flow with this no. conversation and connection I'm like yeah let's no. keep it going come back let's hit all of it's these topics so because they're so important to voice and yeah. they're so important to share and yeah, yeah, I'd love to have you back if you're willing. Yes, I would love that. And also just, you know, thank you for doing this work and like connecting all of us. And it's just such a gift to the world. Thank you so much. Go have a great team meeting. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I'll tell you what, one of the things that I love the most in life are stimulating conversations. I just love nerding out and speaking with Kim today fulfilled that need of mine. I see Kim as being a woman who truly embodies what she teaches and someone who checks her ego at the door. She is an incredible example of feminine and healed leadership and bravely owns who she is, what she desires, while at the same time deeply caring about others and the state of the world and humanity. There are so many more things I would have liked to talk to Kim about, so if you liked this episode, tag Kim at Dr. Kimberly Rose on Instagram and myself at Expand and Impact and share with us how this conversation landed for you. And also share this episode with three friends that may be into it. And be sure to leave a five-star written review on iTunes. We have a big goal of reaching and connecting one million women who have a desire to learn, grow, and live and lead from a place of alignment, confidence, self-trust, authenticity, and inner peace. And by sharing this episode with friends or colleagues, you can help us reach this audacious goal. This is how generational change happens. One woman reclaiming her voice and her power at a time, and in this case, reclaiming her pleasure too. As always, take what resonates and leave what doesn't. That's it for this week. Cheers to your health, wealth, and happiness, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Remember, expansive education plus inspired action equals an impactful life. <laughs>